0: And welcome to Barry Aftercare, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Connie Stapleton. This is episode 79 Transfer Addiction, an interview with Joy. Joy had bariatric surgery 14 years ago and lost weight as expected following surgery. Prior to surgery, Joy rarely consumed alcohol and did not knowingly engage in any other addictive behaviors or consume any other addictive substances. More than a year passed before she took a sip of alcohol. Joy's first post-surgery drink was four ounces of wine. She was almost instantly dizzy and intoxicated. The next night, she again drank a glass of wine. She did the same the following night. Within a year, her alcohol consumption was affecting her relationship with her family members, and she was told by the Human Resources Department at her job that she was to seek treatment for her alcoholism or lose her job. Listen to the interview with Joy and learn about transfer addiction following bariatric surgery. It's more common than you think. Also, please invite anyone you know who's had bariatric surgery or who is planning to have bariatric surgery to listen to the Barry Aftercare podcast. And for more information on the entire Barry Aftercare program, go to www.baryaftercare.com. Now let's get started with this great interview. Welcome, everybody. So happy to have you with us in Barry Aftercare. I don't know if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching the video, but I have a very special guest with me tonight. And when I say very special, I do mean very special. I have known this woman for several years now. She never ceases to amaze me with her consistent effort that she puts into her weight loss process. And the thing that I am most impressed by with joy, which you will meet her in just a minute, is her honesty, her willingness to be gut level honest. And she's very passionate about what we're talking about tonight. And she's the only person I thought about when I thought, I want to follow up last week's podcast where we talked about food addiction with a segment on transfer addiction, because I think it's highly underrated, not in terms of you know, it's such a good thing. What I mean by underrated is we don't know how much of it there is. And I think there's a lot more of it than we know about. So underrated is not the right term, but it's the one that came out of my mouth. Underreported, maybe. So let me introduce you to Joy. And Joy and I are just going to have a conversation because I want her to tell you her story about transfer addiction. And then we'll talk about transfer addiction as a larger concept. And we haven't planned this so however long it goes it goes if it's looking like it's going to be a two-parter then we'll break it into two parts but welcome joy i so appreciate you being here tonight
1: thank you very much for the honor of attending tonight i appreciate it
0: so you had weight loss surgery correct i did all right when did gastric you bypass tonight? rny back in june
1: of 2008
0: it's been a while
1: it has it's been a long while
0: Wow. That's exciting. And so what has been your weight journey since 2008? So that makes it 14 years.
1: Yep. Just, awesome. just had my 14th year.
0: Congratulations. And uh,
1: My highest weight was 327 pounds and I really kind of steadily, uh, increased over the course of my adult life from the time I was 18 on. And, um, Finally, you started having several more comorbidities, not just the sleep apnea, but also looking at potentially having to take insulin and things like that. So the doctor said, well, you know, I kind of think that you might be a good candidate for weight loss surgery. And I said, really? He said, would you consider that? And I said, well, do you think that it would be something that I would benefit from? Absolutely. That, you know, he said, absolutely. He actually did the due diligence. He was great. He wrote me a wonderful letter that I submitted along with my packet to the insurance company. Um, I proceeded after that to kind of start looking for uh, a reputable surgeon. And I was able to find one here in the local area that I absolutely, he won me over and, um, So when I went into surgery, I weighed less than 327 because I'd been on the fast, basically the liquid diet for a couple of weeks prior to shrink my liver. And um, over the course of, I guess it was about 15 months following the surgery, I got down to my lowest weight of 160 pounds. I'm five foot four. So I really could have stood a lot loose more, but that was, that was my lowest and right. my co left. So I was pretty happy
0: about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So prior to your having the surgery, let me ask you some, some general kinds of addiction type questions. Were you a big no. shopper? Did you no. ever have a problem with spending money? Did no. you ever have a problem with gambling? No. Did you ever have a problem with um, online gaming or pornography or anything like that? Nothing of the sort. What about drinking?
1: Drinking. My drinking consisted of maybe having a margarita when we went had Mexican food.
0: Okay. Never had been drunk
1: in my life.
0: Oh, my gosh. So you didn't have any kind of addiction issues that you were aware of going into the surgery? Correct. Correct. If
1: anything... Um, I'm the one that still to this day can't tell you how to make a drink. I, I'm not that familiar with the various alcohols and how to put them together and things like that. I just didn't have that background. Yeah.
0: At the time you had your surgery, did anybody in the process from the surgeon to the dietitian to the psychologist to the nurses, anybody involved in your pre-surgical process mention anything to you about addiction, including food addiction?
1: Uh, nothing at all about food addiction, which looking back is kind of comical to me because there I was at 327 pounds. Um, probably the closest thing to it was that my surgeon, uh, we basically had to uh, commit versus, via a contract that we would not drink for one year following our surgery.
0: Okay. And did they tell you the reason why or any reasons uh, why?
1: No, not in particular, not so much. Um, I gladly signed it because I didn't drink. It was an non, an yeah. issue. So right. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. So I signed it and I honored my word. I didn't drink for the entire year.
0: at all. That's interesting to me that they literally had you sign a piece of paper with that. And I'm uh-huh. glad. I'm very glad to yeah. hear, hear that. And that suggests to me, remind me, we're going to go back to that because that Suggest something very interesting to me, and I was not aware of that. That's that's interesting. Okay, so you have your surgery. You're not drinking. You said you're not drinking for a year, so you're not a drinker anyway. So you lose your weight. Where are you at a year later in your life, in your? Uh,
1: able to do things I've not been able to do in a very long time. I, uh, I feel great. Um, I know I weighed 160 pounds, which is other people's starting point. But to me, I felt thin. I felt just very thin and um, much younger than I was. Okay. Absolutely. So it was, a, it was a win.
0: Absolutely. Great, great thing. I mean, really, when I get so frustrated when people worry too much about the number. Because really, this process about gaining your health back and giving yourself an opportunity to enjoy more of life the way you want to live it. Yeah, Absolutely. so there you are, living your life a year later. So then what happens?
1: Ah, what happens? Um, I, I had never been much about wine. I was never one to have a glass of wine. Before surgery, Um, it didn't seem, you know, you've heard that term, the juice isn't worth the squeeze? No. <laughs> <made me> <laughs> yes. Well, the juice with the wine wasn't worth the squeeze because it just made me tired. And okay. so if, if I... I
0: knew if I had a glass of wine. Oh, she's frozen. She'll be back. This happened a few times when we were getting ready. So here's what I'm going to tell you about what, what Joy said about the doctor having her sign that contract. And this is interesting to me, which suggests to me that perhaps the surgeons do know more about the problems with alcohol following surgery. And as you will find out, Joy's transfer addiction was alcohol. but What that suggests to me is that the doctor had her sign on the dotted line that she would not drink alcohol for a year, because then if she came back and she had any kind of problem related to alcohol, he could say, but you agreed to not drink alcohol for a year. And I'll take you back to uh, when I was pretty new in this, this field. And I, had done an, I hadn't done I had done the evaluation on this guy. I don't think. Maybe I had. Anyway, he came back into the office a year and a half, two years later. I don't remember how long it was, but he was furious because he had been regaining weight. And <laughs> he was furious because his surgery didn't work. And a lot of times that's what people want to say. The surgery didn't work. Well, as is true in many cases... The reality was the patient wasn't working. And in fact, this patient was working so hard against his own health and recovery. He was drinking a 12-pack of beer a day. And this is before I knew anything about the triple effects of alcohol. So I I was not surprised to hear him say that he had been regaining because a 12-pack of beer a day is a tremendous number of unhealthy, unnecessary calories. And it's going to lead to some significant weight regain. What I didn't know at the t- time, but I know now, is that one drink after surgery for most people is the equivalent of three drinks. So somebody who has one beer has having three, three beers. That's how they feel it. And that's why people say they're such a lightweight after they have bariatric surgery, when it comes to alcohol consumption. But this man, if he was drinking 12, hi, Joy. If he was drinking 12 cans of beer a day, that was really equivalent to 36 cans of beer a day. So amazing that he was even walking. Anyway. So Joy, what prompted you to have a glass of wine? Um, my husband actually would,
1: he liked to have a glass of wine from time to time. So he's like, would you like some? And I'm like, I don't know. It always makes me kind of tired. Yeah. Why not? I guess I can have a half a glass, you know? And, uh, so I had a half a glass and got a buzz really fast. Uh, my head was pretty light. Uh, I didn't get tired, which was a big (laughs) change. Okay. I felt pretty doggone good. So I had a little bit more. And the next night repeated the next night had some might've missed a couple of nights after that, but I kept coming back to it. And that's, I will always think that's where I made my mistake was doing it in the first place. But coming back to it, I think that the thought of having like, say a four ounce glass of wine and it having any effect on me, Never entered my mind. Right. But after the gastric bypass, what a difference! And four ounces was probably the equivalent of about three cups, three regular,
0: right. you know, size
1: glasses yeah. of wine. Well, it's triple the effect.
0: Sir. That's what research tells us. So four ounces exactly. would equal twelve. Yeah, exactly. So, what yeah. did you? What What made you come back? What was what about made me come that back? glass
1: of wine? you know, it was sweet. Number one, it was sweet. Okay. Okay. Um, I never was one for the dry wine, uh, you know, the Cabernets and things like that. I really, honestly, I'd rather drink vinegar because it pretty much tastes the same, but I, I honestly think for myself, it was that sweet.
0: Okay. So had you been eating sugar
1: during that? Uh, Very little
0: at that point. Okay. What about before surgery? Was sugar a thing for you?
1: Sugar was a huge thing. Um, my, I guess you would say my danger foods or whatever, uh, my red light foods were uh, baked goods, you know, donuts and pies and cakes and, and mm-hmm. candy and things like that. Um, I've, I've always had, I'm amazed by the people that said, you know, no, I just ate too much meatloaf and mashed potatoes. That was not me. Right. That wasn't me.
0: <laughs> right. You were okay? sweet girl. So
1: it was definitely the sugar.
0: Absolutely. Because a, a lot of alcohol, many alcohols contain very little sugar, except that the body metabolizes it, metabolizes it similarly to sugar. Absolutely. I know that now. Absolutely. And I think that's yep. something really important for people to understand that a lot of simple carbs, processed carbs metabolize very similarly to Absolutely. sugar in your body and affect your brain and your body similarly to Alcohol. So, what was the trajectory of your drinking from that point?
1: Well, it it mine escalated, I think, very quickly. Okay, um, I became I would, you know, you have a problem when okay, when you uh, get up in the morning, and what I would do is I would plan, uh, okay, I'm going to go to work, and then I'm going to stop by, you know, Walmart and get my wine on the way home but I can't go by Walmart tomorrow to get wine. So I'll have to go to the liquor store tomorrow because I don't want them to think I'm an alcoholic or anything, Mm. you know, that that would just not be okay. Mm -hmm. So what I I found every morning, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get my fix. Okay, my wine. Interestingly, that that was my same MO prior to surgery. Mm -hmm. How was I going to get my sugar, my baked goods, my whatever. How was I going to get it? They were very, they're almost precious to me. So I would hide them because, you know, I didn't want anybody to think I was a pig.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. That's my, my verbiage, not someone else's. I put that on myself, but it's the similarities are striking Connie. Oh my God. When I look back.
0: And I love how you are using the, possessive term my wine my goods my baked goods my fix and the three of those things are really synonymous
1: it was for me and what it what my worst uh became very quickly and when I say very quickly I'm talking in in the course of maybe three months what yeah yeah I kid you not where I would get, I started out with the lady like bottles of that are big around, and you know, oh. and I graduated very quickly because, yeah, that's just how I am, uh, and, and I'm an addict, I guess, by nature, and so I went to the large. I don't remember going to bed most nights.
0: Wow. Okay,
1: I didn't. I was very blessed. I I wasn't driving. I would make sure I had my stash at home. I would usually go out on the porch by myself and empty the bottle. Don't know how I got to bed.
0: Wow. wow. Awesome. So was it still all always wine?
1: It was always wine. Um, I tried vodka, which is like truth serum.
0: That does not Oops. serve me
1: well. <laughs> yeah. If I think it, I pretty much say it. And Connie knows me well, but um, my friends call me joyful. And I'm usually a pretty laid back, easygoing person. But with vodka, for instance, it was truth serum and I was vile oh. and I was vile and very um, just kind of mean, in all honesty, to my husband, to my children and things so like that. So does that
0: mean you were truthfully very angry with your husband? Yes, I think, so.
1: um, I think so. I think so. There was a lot of truth
0: behind that anger, for sure. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right, it so kind of
1: kept, kept it stuffed down, but with an alcohol, vodka, it just kind of
0: well, brought it out. Well, that's an interesting thing to say and to point out too, because alcohol is a disinhibitor, right? That's it what is. it is. Some more
1: so than others. I think the liquor was for me. the The wine, I I'm trying to think. I just wanted to be pretty much by myself because mm-hmm. if I was around people, they tell me I shouldn't drink. And, um, I'm like, I knew it in my mind and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or people would say, you know, you have a problem. No, I don't. I just like wine.
0: I just like it. I can put it down. Interesting. So, oh my gosh. So you were doing all the classic behaviors of an addict, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And I, you know, last week I went through the the categories and ask the questions. And so, you know, people may not remember, but we will talk about those in just a minute. Um, So you're hiding things. This is clearly something that's being noticed by other people because they're saying you drink too much. Mm -hmm. So it's interfering in your relationships. Did it interfere in your job at all?
1: It did at the end, um, which is actually why I got uh, help. Why I actually, I was Mm -hmm. forced to get help. It was outside of my control, but it was probably the best thing that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I am a project manager by trade. And so what I would do is I would go ahead and start working early so that I could get off in the afternoon. And so at this point, this was many years ago, but I was working from home at that point. And so I had gotten off at four Mm o'clock. Not a big deal. Uh, I got off the call, off my calls. And... Mm-hmm. Poured me a, I call it a tumbler because the wine glasses, no, I I totally left them. I went straight to the tumblers and had poured it down to good one. I'm slurry
0: uh-huh. instantly
1: slurry. And so, yes, I could stand up, but very much so slurry and, um, on a call. And I'm like, they, they said, everybody's going to be on this call. It's a mandatory call. So I'm oh, like, well, oh, snap. So go ahead. I get on the call and I'm slurring. And so my manager and my director were on the call. And so what it what it amounted to is the next day HR called me in and said, you we are not going to term you, but you have to go get help if you want to keep your job. And I said, "Okay." I was humiliated. My manager was one of my best friends. I hated her. Absolutely hated her guts. I felt oh like God. she had turned her back on me, and all that kind of good stuff. And anyway,
0: so I yeah. It turns out she was being a really great friend. She was. She because was really great friends. Say I care enough about you. Yep. I'll let you know. Not only that, she happened to work for HR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she
1: she told HR. You know, and in all honesty, um, she did what she
0: should have done. She sure did. Somebody who loves you doesn't ignore that kind of thing. Agree. agree. You know, and people who struggle with weight or drinking or shopping or gambling or whatever, we get very angry at the people who confront us. Yes. We we blame them. We get angry with them. It's all, you know, we get the denial, all the things that go along with addiction. And it's really a tough situation because a lot of people will just back off and say, hey. But, the, but love requires that we say something to somebody and say, I love you too much not to say this. I can't make you get help, but I'm not going to pretend that this isn't a problem. So true. So if you have people who are coming to you you yes. know, and saying, I'm concerned about your weight because of your health. I don't care. I don't care what you look like. I don't care about your weight, except that it's affecting your health. And that concerns me. You know, same with drinking or shopping or whatever. It's a tough thing for people to have the courage and to show you enough love to confront you like that. So how long was it when you were told, get some help or lose your job from the time you had that first small glass of wine?
1: Um, I let's see from I I had the wine following my figure June of 2009 probably toward the end of the month. It wasn't right away. Like, oh, I did my year and now I can drink. It wasn't any thought of that at all. I had no right. plans to do it. Um, right. So it was totally, I, I won't you nothing. I had ever had a problem with with alcohol prior to that. Um, in June of 2010, I went into treatment.
0: Okay, so it was a year. Yeah. One yeah. year. Now I will tell, I will point out that there's a thing with women and alcohol and this is regardless of weight loss surgery, there's a thing with women and alcohol called the telescope effect. So whereas a man may drink for 40 years before he starts having physiological issues like with the liver or whatever, and it may be sooner. What I'm trying to say is that with women, it's always faster. Their organs are affected more quickly. And that's why they call it the telescope effect with, with alcohol. You add that bariatric surgery on top of that, and it was a year, a year. Yeah. And, year. and I, I tell people the worst things I've seen after bariatric surgery is the transfer to another addiction, primarily alcohol, because it so affects every area of your life. You were hiding it. You had the denial. It was interfering in your relationships with people. It was interfering with your work. You know, did you have a desire to quit or cut back?
1: Um, I think the job was a wake up call. Now, what I will tell you is I would love to tell you that I went into treatment in June of 2010 and life was grand and I quit drinking, never looked back.
0: Guess that's not the case.
1: No, not the case. Um, I would do white knuckle it for a while and I'd be like, I don't need to drink. I'm not going to drink. And I would put all kinds of accountability with friends and family. And what I do, what I will say is My heart goes out to a degree to people who drink and say, I'm gonna quit because every time I said it, I meant it with my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna quit. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I meant it. I swear Mm -hmm. to you, I meant it with all of my heart until I blew it. Till I relapsed. Mm -hmm. And so now I have been about five and a half years.
0: I don't touch it
1: ever. I don't have a glass of wine at a reception. I don't have champagne. I don't have any. I, I don't do it. I'm, I'm a zero. Don't trust myself with it. It's proved it kicked my butt.
0: Well, that's so, how it needs to be with an addictive substance.
1: It does. For me, it's, it, absolutely.
0: For most people who have an addiction, there's a switch in the brain that gets triggered because it's a biological social psychological it's a biopsychosocial disease and just like food addiction it's a chronic disease it's not going to go away so people who who don't who drink and can't can't control it really can't you know who have an addiction have a disease just like the disease of obesity and so just like people who have the disease of obesity often say, I want to quit carbs or I'm going to quit sugar. Or, I'm going to cut back. Or, and they mean it and they want to. And their doctor is saying, if you don't, you're going to die. You know, there are so many similarities. If you don't cut back on this, your your blood pressure, your heart disease, your whatever, whatever, whatever is going to be out of control. And you're going to be cutting your life short. So transfer addiction is a real thing. You've experienced it firsthand, right?
1: Firsthand. Absolutely.
0: Have you struggled with any other behaviors or addictive substances? <laughs> Why? Yes, I have.
1: Let me tell you about that. Oh, so, and I tell you this, don't ever think it just goes away. It doesn't pack up its bags and leave and never come back. It just hides. Yeah. Okay. And so what I find Um, If you've ever been to like Chuck E. Cheese or something like that, we're not even going to talk about pizza, but Chuck E. Cheese and they have whack-a-mole. And so the weight comes up, whack it down because I thought it was weight. Weight is a symptom of a bigger problem. Thank you. Say that again. Say that again. Your weight is a symptom of a larger problem, a hidden problem. In my case, it was very hidden. So... Looking back, the weight grew and grew and grew. I, I was consuming things I knew were not good for me. But by consuming them, it made me feel better. So I thought I told myself that, oh, it feels better. It really didn't make me feel better. It made me feel dingy. It made me feel scatterbrained because your brain does weird stuff on yes. sugar. Yes. Um, the and then I switched to wine, which is liquid sugar. Okay, now I decide. At five years ago, uh, on June eleventh, twenty. I'm sorry, January eleventh, twenty seventeen. I'm weird. Couldn't do it on one one. I had to do one eleven. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I was just like, nope, that's too cliche to do it on a New Year's resolution. So I went ahead and uh, I quit and put it away. But what I found was all of those things from before surgery came back and I wanted to start hoarding my sweets and my candy and my baked goods and things like that. And all of that, to your point, Connie, and and what, you know, my doctors told me is he's like, that's great. He said all your body metabolizes those. Everything is sugar is sugar. The wine is sugar you know, the white bread and all the pretty little things that I wanted to eat, you know, the potatoes and things like that. They just, they metabolize like sugar in my body. And so that's another addictive substance.
0: Absolutely. And I just am so grateful too. So when, when you very uh, correctly and very honestly share that food isn't the problem, alcohol isn't the problem for people who's transferred to gambling or sleeping around or internet pornography or the food network or whatever it is that consumes you and replaces what food did for you. What is the problem?
1: I went through a bunch of counseling over just that thing. Um, Trying to learn how to have my needs met and speak up and things of that nature. Um, put myself and my, my, what I need first. But most importantly for me, if it is a trigger, if it is a stronghold for me, I can't touch it. I just, I have to leave it alone.
0: I love that. You may or may not know who Tenny McCarty is, but Tenny McCarty yes. wrote, wrote a book called Shades of Hope. She had a great docuseries on years ago, but her, what she says is if you can't take it or leave it, you're probably addicted to it. And that's just what you said. If something has a stronghold over me, I need to leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah.
1: If you start dreaming about it, like you do some, oh, you know, and you're fantasizing about a thing, about a food or about a drink, that's what's wrong. You know, that that's like danger.
0: Very much danger. And I just read a thing. I was looking up quotes about addiction and food addiction. And Oprah said, my drug of choice is food. I use food. For the same reasons an addict uses drugs to comfort, to soothe, and to ease stress. Mm-hmm. So, when you say food isn't through a problem, the problem is I don't know how to get my needs for comfort met in healthy ways. I didn't, I, maybe I didn't learn how to self soothe or get soothing or ask for soothing from another person. I'm using this to deal with stress because I don't have the skills to deal with life's stress. So, For so many people who have weight loss surgery, they go into the surgery, unfortunately, thinking the surgery is going to cure all of that, only to find out that life is stressful, no matter whether you've had weight loss surgery or not. And if you take away your your coping mechanism, you're likely to pick up another one unless and until like Joy, who's gone to a lot of therapy and who continues to seek and learn and grow. So that rather than reaching for food or alcohol or something else to what Oprah says, comfort, soothe, or ease stress, you can deal with those things directly and not need these addictive substances to do that for you. You know, I also wanted to, and I'm going to read these and just have you say what you think about these. And these are some definitions of addiction that I pulled up. Okay. Um, I love Deepak Chopra's. Addiction is when you can't get enough of what you don't want anymore. True. How did that play out for you? You can't get enough. At some point, I think that
1: any semi-intelligent person is going to come to the understanding that this is not serving me well. Okay. Whether it is eating or drinking, eating in excess, stuff that's bad for your body. And when you keep going back to it, and it always reminds me of the Bible verse where it talks about a a dog going back to their vomit. Oh, yeah. And it's like, if you can get that visual in your mind, you know, a dog goes back to their vomit. I don't want to be like a dog in that way. I don't. I don't want to go back and I don't want to be chained to a substance. I just don't.
0: Absolutely. And that's an interesting phrase too. We didn't rehearse any of this, but a lot of addiction specialists will talk about how your brain becomes hijacked. It's oh. like being chained or shackled to this thing that you can't get enough of, but you don't want it anymore. I don't want to destroy my life with sugar. I don't want to destroy my life with food. I don't want to lose my life to blood pressure and diabetes, and, but I can't stop. I can't stop. I'm going or- to- yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just going to tell you have how many people I have personally lately where I would go and I would kind of fantasize about something. Oh, this sounds so good. I think I'm going to eat it. So you order whatever said thing is and you eat it and you're eating it and you're like this really isn't all that. So it's like you had this image in your mind and then now you have it and it's not really fulfilling any need. It's not even tasty. You thought it was.
0: Well, honestly, what I yeah. think that says what I think that says about you is that you've come to a place where you're like, this doesn't make me happy. This doesn't do what I used to need it to do for me. I have other healthier ways of dealing with these things. Here's another definition. Um, addiction is a repetitive habit behavior pattern. It's a pattern that increases the risk of diseases. Uh, personal problems, social problems, work, home relationships, um, often experienced as a loss of control and how many people feel like they've lost control. I want to get control of my eating. No, you don't want to get control of it. You want to let go of needing to have control of it and just let it be what it is. A way to (laughs) nourish yourself.
1: Exactly, and you know, trying to get it into, <laughs> I love Dr. Um, Rob Cywis, he, he made the comment that uh, it doesn't have to be a sexy experience, okay? We shouldn't feel better about eating than we do about some sexy experience, that's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So yeah. I, I think for me, I look back and in particular, I'm just like, why would I fantasize about food? And what my goal is now is I'm like, it's fuel, right? It's fuel. I need to fuel my body and I've got to remove all that emotional, you know? Oh, it's so, Oh, it's just, I love it. No, no, it's food. It's just food. Stop joy. <laughs> you I know? read
0: something last night and I'm going to do a podcast on this book. Um, can't even think of the name of it right now, but in the book, this guy was talking about how, he has replaced the word eat with the word nourish. Okay. And every time he says, I'm going to eat, he says, he changes it to, I'm going to nourish my body. And if what he is putting into his body does not literally nourish in a healthy way, his body, he doesn't consume it. And I think that's a really good way because a lot of this is changing your perception about things, right? Right. F- food is intended to nourish our body, and so much of what we put into our bodies isn't even food. It's a bunch of chemicals that are combined and sold as food, but it's not food.
1: And a lot of those
0: chemicals are
1: addictive as well. That's right. You know, That's absolutely, they're
0: engineered to be addictive. That's right.
1: They are. They talk. You know, do a Google search for Bliss Point and find out what their marketing teams are doing to oh, you. Oh, I
0: love that. That's right. They. They combine these salty, fatty combinations so that you Salt, fat, reach sugar. That and you yep. you want that. You continue to seek that. And that's what that's kind of what you know, cocaine or opioids do. You sure. continually seek that feeling, right? So if food is what you use to soothe yourself from what? From pain, some kind yes. of pain. We use food or alcohol or shopping or gambling or whatever it is to ease our unpleasant emotions or get them out of the way. So true. So rather than soothing, you know, addictions are an attempt to escape pain, but oftentimes they just add more pain. Food added pain to your life because you were unhealthy. Alcohol added pain because it was interfering with your job and your health and your relationships overspending is going to interfere in your life. Gamma is going to interfere in your life. You know, anything can become an addiction really, but when it's affecting your life and you can't stop, it's a problem. So call it an addiction, call it a problem. But if it's a problem, it's a problem. And you need to do what Joy has said that she has done. And you need to get some help for it because it's not going away on its own. And, and unless you- go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just saying unless you do dig down to find out what you're trying to soothe, you're just going to keep reaching for one thing or another. And that's the whack-a-mole thing. Do you know that I thought I had made up the term whack-a-mole addiction? (laughs) I was so sad when I found out people had been using it for a long time. I was like, oh, my brilliance. (laughs) Not so unique.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll give you credit. I'm like, that's all right. That's all right.
0: Here's one more quote. It says, you don't need to wish harder. I wish I was a normal eater. I wish I didn't have addiction. I wish I didn't have the disease of obesity. I wish I wishful thinking ain't going to get you anywhere. He says, you don't need to wish harder. You need to work harder. And I hate to say that as a reality, but that is a reality. There's no wishing yourself away from addiction. It's hard work on a consistent basis each day and every day. And if you use the sentence that Joy said earlier, is this going to serve me well? Can you speak a little bit more to that?
1: I think when you're talking about wishing, the first thing that comes to mind to me, if I start, oh, I wish, that gets me real quick into a pity party. Okay. Going into a pity party is a, all in itself is a reason for me to blow it. Okay. To eat what I know I shouldn't eat. Because at that point, for whatever reason, whether it's self-soothing or whatever, I find myself that just looks 10 times better than it did before. And so what I don't want to do is make myself like, uh, what's the word, make myself feel like I'm doing something horrible to myself because I'm not allowing myself to eat all this junk. When, with ingredients in it that I can't even pronounce and I don't even know what it is, but I'm pretty sure that you probably wouldn't want to give it to your child, that type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so yes, I, I'm like, no, I just make it, make the decision. Do not get in the pity party though. That is, is yes. suicide. It's suicidal. It.
0: it absolutely is. And just something you just said about, you wouldn't give to your kids. Think about what we do, feed our kids, mm-hmm. fast food, Junk food, crap food, sugar. So unfortunately, we would feed it to our children. We have a nation that's feeding it to our children. Yeah. And I'm not exempt from that. You know, mm-hmm. I give in to my grandkids plenty, you know, but really stress that healthy food comes before junk food and junk food is limited and, you know, setting boundaries for children, which we need to do for ourselves as adults with food, right? Right. Funny, we we expect kids to live by the boundaries we set. Do your homework. Take out the garbage. And don't complain about it. And yet, do we set boundaries for ourselves? So true. So true. Well, and that leads me to say, part of this whole process of of dealing with food addiction, with any kind of addiction, is growing up, is becoming a healthier adult, and that is what I have seen Joy do for years and continue you immerse yourself you're always you know sharing i found this out and i found that out and i checked into this and i checked into that and that is what it takes my friends it takes immersion into your own health and trying to get help for the things that are bothersome to you because they may be different than to other people and there may be a lot of common denominators but the fact is weight loss surgery does not treat food addiction or any other addiction and it doesn't Solve any life problems that you have.
1: You just take up less space. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you take up less space, but that nothing goes
0: away. Yes, my you know? my little private joke is if you didn't like your mother in law before you got married, you're probably not going to like her after you got married, right? I would think <laughs> there are exceptions. I do know that, but. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? If you yes. got problems going into weight loss surgery, you're going to have problems on the other side of it. You know, yes. until we deal with whatever our problems are, they're not going to go away, right? So Joy, what would you like to summarize your experience with um, or how to encourage people to be as honest and courageous and face things like you have done?
1: Well, I think you give me a lot of credit. and I appreciate that. You deserve um, that. What I would say... Honestly, if you find that there's something to your point, Connie, that you said earlier, if you can't take it or leave it, if you're going to be all over it, do yourself a favor and walk away from it because it will rule you. And I don't care if it's alcohol, which by the way, alcohol will slip up and get you before you know you got got. That's right. Okay. And when, by the time people are saying, I'm concerned about you, you seem like you're drinking a lot. You probably got. You know, you may be the one that hasn't figured it out yet, but I guarantee everybody around you has. Yeah. Okay. Sad but true. Now, how I have carried this into my current situation is I've tried to identify what foods are my alcohol. They're my alcoholic foods, basically, and um, sweets of any kind. They're 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 not a choice for me. They're not a good choice for me. They will cause me to fail. I do not want to fail anymore. I want to conquer this. I want to stay on the side of it. Also, too, a big motivation for me, my mother has dementia. And, you know, she's, she's out of it way more than she's in it. I haven't really seen her in reality in some time. Now they have linked several studies to the fact that high glucose levels in your bloodstream, bathing your brain in, in sugar and glucose can be a large determining factor for dementia. My mom yeah. is 20 years older than me. I do not want to be that in 20
0: years. Exactly.
1: That's urgent and important. Upper right hand copy quadrant. I'm serious. So yeah. if I can do change my, my eating and drinking habits, I drink a lot of water. So if you're a bariatric patient, you know how that goes. So mm-hmm. I'm drinking my water. Uh, I like my coffee. It's my last vice. I'm keeping my coffee, Connie. Okay. And, you know, other than that, I'm just, just like, I felt it was sugar. no sugar. All I do is cream. That's it. And um, so, so really, if, if you can't, if you can't do without it, or it calls to you, just cut it out of your life. Yeah. Don't even make exceptions. You really don't have to have birthday cake at a birthday party. That's the right. world won't end. I promise That's the world won't end. True. And I know it people kick you off into
0: a binge people panic. Like, what do you mean? I can never have sugar again. That depends on you. Some people just have certain foods they cannot eat, like a particular cookie or cake or whatever. And that is not an option. Other people like Joy and myself, alcohol is not an option. A little, well, how do they say that? Uh, One is too many and a hundred's not enough. Yep. Right? So- If one isn't safe for you because there'll be more and more and more, then don't touch the one. For some people, it's a whole category of foods like sugar. And never again, I don't know about never again, but what about today? Maybe just today. That's how I got to 33 years of sobriety. Just today. I'm not going to drink today. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. Today. Today. One day at a time. And that's what they mean. So don't worry about not having sugar ever again. Think about if you're going to have it today. You don't need it today. Say maybe tomorrow. Right. And then tomorrow, I'll have people ask me
1: that. Are you going to have sugar again? And I'm like, I'm not today.
0: Yes. And that, you know what? That's the only place we can live is today. Good. Joy, I cannot thank you enough. And I know we're going to get a lot of, um, a lot of interest in this because I think it's something that so many people deal with and are afraid to talk about. So please, if you're struggling with any kind of transfer addiction, don't let it get out of hand, get some help, get some help before you're forced to get some help. But it's interesting. You use the word. Be that you honest with you. Yes. You've got to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So remember my friends, this is your life. It's your health. It's your responsibility. This day and every day, but you don't have to do it alone. None of this, neither Joy nor I have done by ourselves. It takes a good, solid support system. So Joy, thank you again. I would love to invite you back another time to talk some more. I would love it. Thank you. Okay, I think we'll talk about therapy and the importance of therapy next time. How would that be? That is a great one. All right. We'll get some of your friends to join us.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. That would Uh, be awesome.
0: All right. Thanks again everybody. Take care. Feel free to reach out with questions. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Very Aftercare the podcast. The information shared on this podcast is considered psychoeducation and does not constitute therapy or a therapeutic relationship. Be sure to check out all the great information I provide, much of it free, by visiting my website at www.connystapletonphd.com. Be sure to leave your positive comments for this podcast and listen in next week to learn more ways to live your best post-op life.